Jason, as it is each and every week, the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Hey, you know our friends, they are at it again, they are giving back to the community, and we get to watch it happen. All hail our very charitable Robot Shade Overlords. Now, through Friday, they are collecting donations for Lee Summit Social Services. This is part of the annual story time with Santa at Budget Blinds. Santa! So come out on Friday, 6 to 8 p.m. Friday night. Bring your monetary or food donations for Lee Summit Social Services. See Santa. He's going to read some of his favorite holiday stories. And it's a chance to get your picture taken with Santa. Always good to get picture with the big man. That's right. And also through Friday, Jason... They are accepting necessity donations for Hope House. See their Facebook page for more details. So, so what you got to do is you got to go on Friday. You got to take your food donations and your monetary donations for Lee Summit Social Services. You got to take your necessities for Hope House, and you get a little time with the big man. You can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. And because they are awesome sponsors, let's one more time remember: automated shades provide for a safer environment for your children and pets due to their cordless nature. And their programmable features will allow you to use heating or cooling only when you most need it, saving you some energy dollars. There you go. Head on down to our friends at Budget Blinds. Tom, Jason, and Nick sent you. Hello and welcome to this Friday Conversation edition of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. I am joined with two, not just one, but two special guests this week, the Reverends. The right reverends, I'm going to say. Hubert Neth and Hans Koshman. Welcome, guys. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm going to be totally honest. I've already told you guys this, but I'm going to tell everybody else. I'm really honest. I don't know what we're doing today. This is a very open-ended conversation and mostly set up by this. I'm an old newspaper guy. Newspapers used to have church pages. And community newspapers are, I hate to say it, Falling by the wayside. That hurts. Really hurts to say out loud. Church pages are already pretty much gone. Churches have their own websites. Churches have their own apps. Churches have their own podcasts. They don't need the news, the local newspaper church page like they used to to reach the audience. So what do we do now? How can, how can local media people help churches be in, as Hans, as you said, off air, be in the public square. And so that's really the premise of kind of where I want to start. And I like talking with you guys too. I just, I I like getting into what faith and church, what it means to you guys. But what is the role of the church in the community? How do you reach people? How can those of us that run public megaphones be of service to you as you try to be of service to the community? Hans, I'm going to start with you. Well, just today, just being here is a great opportunity. My, some of my members heard the last time you and I had a conversation. They I'm sorry really about that. It. No, they liked it. So I love that you invited us here today, that we get to be here and be open and kind of share in a way that hopefully is not about necessarily our congregations or us as individuals, but talking about the faith and talking about the church and talking about larger things. So not as just a tool to say, come to this church, come to this church, come to that church. But just sharing more about the faith in general, I'm excited about. Isn't that, I feel like though that's a big thing now, and maybe it always has been. I've never been a minister, and I come from, I grew up in a church that was lay ministry, so very different from what you guys do. You're professionals. 
But isn't a big part of the church, though, to say, come here, come here, come here, come here? still is. It still is. So a lot of things that the pastors do are to get people into the church. And so um, I'm glad that you didn't introduce our churches when you introduced us. So I kind of <laughs> like Actually, that. that was a mistake. I, no. pro- I probably should have. Oh, Thank you. Don't do, don't do it. I love it. <laughs> Hubert, you've... you've uh, you you've done this for a long time. You you are, I should say, congratulations. You are an officially retired yeah. after 30, 40 years in this community as a minister. But but is are you still? I mean, is is that still a thing where you're you're? I don't want to use the term. Maybe I should. Is it recruiting? No, but I never did. <laughs> I, you know, we are not exactly marketing something called church. We are uh, giving ourselves away. The purpose of church is to hmm, die. Wow, that's a little heavy. To give itself away for what? For For those who are hungry, mm-hmm. thirsty, or a stranger, or uh, hopeless, or friendless, that's our purpose, to be out on the street and in the shops and the stores and the hospitals and the jails where people are and to give ourselves away. You're talking a lot about outside of the the physical building of the church. Oh, yeah. I I was thinking, and don't now stop me because I'm awfully verbal. I will never stop you. (laughs) I was thinking of the the Bruja over town about uh, what to name the Paseo. And I thought, do I really believe Martin Luther King is staying up night seeing if we'll name a street for him? Mm. And that translated into what about Jesus from Nazareth do you think he really was terribly interested in all these buildings that carry the name church my answer to both questions is probably not so how how are you I guess I guess how do you reach the people how do you how do you make yourself of service Either one of you, chime in. <laughs> For me, part of that is also the Ministry Alliance, working with other churches, getting outside of our bubble, our silo, and working with other churches, other communities. And to the point where even I've been in the grocery store and somebody will say, oh, I saw you at that Thanksgiving service. And I think that's really great. That that's a way that we can get out of my little kingdom, my little silo, and work with others and show that Christ is bigger than just one building, one congregation, one pastor even. Yeah, it's all right with me. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think people will make their response to us and thank whoever we thank if they have that freedom. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't really come to anyone with the idea of saving them. That's an interesting term. 
I come from a, a denomination where we don't use that. I grew up yeah. RLDS, which is now Community of Christ. And I remember being a young teenager the first time I heard somebody use that phrase, are you saved? Have you been saved? Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what that meant. And I still struggle with it a little bit, like trying to translate what that means. And just because that was never in our vernacular growing up. And I think outside the uh, club, most people still don't know. I think lost and found, we understand a little. Those are terms that, uh, you know, everybody feels like, I think, they get lost sometimes. Don't know who they are, what they are, what it's for. Are those two phrases synonymous for you? No, I don't think so exactly. Maybe, I, you know, words are words. Uh, I, I love I love words, and so oh, I can sit yeah, here and, and you know that. parse between them. <laughs> I'm glad you don't like the word saved, also, because that's something that not is not part of the Lutheran faith tradition that has seeped in from other church, other evangelical denominations. And so, I like that my denomination, the ELCA, has not been too steeped into and not crouched in that because again, we have one Lord and Savior already. So it's not about me being saved or being lost. It's about acknowledging what Jesus already did, and. I don't save people. And sometimes that other Christians get kind of bothered by that and or they feel their need to save other people. No, I'm not the savior. Jesus already did that. Now, can I live out the best witness I can? Can I fulfill what Christ wants me to do? Yes, absolutely. But it's not my job to go save people. And some people that's a lot of anxiety. They fear this if I don't save them. I had a friend who's uh his now wife, she was so concerned because her dad was not a Christian. She thought, and so she thought, what if he dies before I save him? I thought, that's so interesting. What kind of anxiety she had with that, of the fear of if I don't save him, what will happen? Well, that's why God is God, and I'm not God, thankfully. Yeah, that seems like a very heavy burden on the place on themselves. And on churches, it's you as an individual and you as the church, you have to go save society. You have to go save the community. Well, why don't we be faithful to what God's called us to and trust that God will work and the Holy Spirit will work? So what is what is your your if your if your calling is not to bring people to the church if your calling is not to save the people you guys are ministers what is that calling what is that thing your job our old buzzword was word and sacrament that's what we used to say and and we still talk about that as if you're faithful to your calling as a pastor you're preaching you're teaching you're doing the pastoral care you have the sacrament you're encouraging the church in that, leading the church in that. And so the anxiety of am I saving them is not, it's not a numbers game. It's not a saving people game, but rather being faithful to what God has called us to. As Methodist Huber, what do you guys oh, think I, about? Oh, I stumble with all this. I, I'm pausing because I... <laughs> Somebody asks me what I do for a living. And I say, not really trying to be cute, I hope, or clever. I breathe. <laughs> yeah. First, first I off, we should say you, you are clever. <laughs> no, I, but, but yeah, okay. I get up and whatever I mean by God, I meet all around every day. Trees, cats, 
people. If it all isn't sacred, then none of it is. I don't much believe in a special category called sacred. I think life is a sacred experience. And I don't create it. I mean, I don't... Uh, is we are we are in the Advent season now. This is the, the the Christmas season. Is there a sacred time? Is this a sacred time? Isn't all time sacred? Yeah. Why not say there? Are, it's a time when we experience what we mean with the word God in particular ways because of the season, probably. We don't do Advent much anymore. I find we jump from Thanksgiving to Christmas, and the seasons are of some value. To, to me, Advent is a time of waiting and expecting. And, uh, it's a time to ask, what am I waiting for? What do I expect to happen? Who am I waiting for? Yeah. yeah. You, you, just, you just use the waiting thing. And it's the – I've never thought of this before, and, and, and I've told both of you before that I'm, I've have not been a regular churchgoer in many years, and I was never a Bible studier. <laughs> my, my mother was working on planning services for her church, and there is a scripture about waiting. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't, I can't recite it. But it, it just the timing interesting that you that you just just brought that up and and she was struggling with how to how to plan this service around that piece that's just all about these were a people waiting for a savior. It's really tough that we're waiting for, yeah, waiting for someone, Jesus to to come, and so she was trying to to share that feeling, I guess, that sentiment with with the congregation she she attends with. Is that is that something you guys think about too? Always. Every season, this every year this comes up and it's tough because we don't want to wait as Americans in our culture to say, do we? We want it all fast. We want it all instant. Even instant mashed potatoes take too long. <laughs> and so we want Look, if you're making to... instant mashed potatoes, you're doing it wrong. I, that's true, Let's right, just right, can right, we right, just right. can we all agree with that one? I'm enough of a foodie to agree <laughs> with you on that. And so but we in America don't like to wait, especially for something that might be nebulous or that we can't tangibly experience pretty quickly. So the idea of waiting a whole season is so weird to us that even waiting to get the Christmas tree out, people get the Christmas tree out earlier and stores get the Christmas stuff out earlier. I saw Christmas stuff up before Halloween this year. And so we just, we have a really hard time with it. And that's why I'm glad you brought up, but I love the fact that we are waiting in the season of Advent, that this season is a special time where we can stop and say, okay, the world is busy, the world is chaotic, but we're going to just stop and slow down and talk about waiting and expecting and hoping for the Savior. I think it's beautiful, and that's why I love the liturgical calendar. I love that the church calendar is different than our community calendar, and when you go to church, it's a different kind of thing. I'm not into the sacred-secular split, but I love that you get a different view of the world in the church than you do outside or other places. I love that. And especially with this season of Advent, you are waiting. We are waiting. And we don't like that in our culture. So I love that it's countercultural. I have difficulty with the differences. 
because if you look historically about waiting, I mean, these were an oppressed people waiting for someone to literally physically save them. And then we get back to the theological part that we talked about before about being saved, about a faith savior. So I, I guess I, I, my brain has trouble with the, those two different things. Like I can understand the historical part and these people needing out, rescued. But I, I struggle with the theological versions of that. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying this clearly. I'm going to look to you, Professor. We wait. We spend an awful lot of our time waiting for test results or a car to pull in the drive or human resources to call and tell us we have the job or we don't have the job. We we do a lot of wait traffic. Driving through it uh, fast. I'm trying to think of all the waiting we do. But we... That's a good question. I think the Jews are still waiting, Mm -hmm. you know. They've been waiting for thousands of years, and they're still waiting. Well, how do you you bridge that gap from that... (coughs) Excuse me. From that historical and physical need for saving to the spiritual. Is there is there a bridge to that? Well, there's a bridge because when Jesus came, they thought, Hosanna, save us. They shouted that. They wanted a savior to lead them politically, militarily, and Jesus was not that kind of savior. And then they kind of turned on him. So within a week, and so that's the story from Palm Sunday through Holy Week to Easter, is that the people wanted this. They thought they thought, this is what they wanted. And then Jesus comes and he's not like what they expected. And they turned on him. And so think about even our culture today, think about if people say, I want, you know, we want a savior. We want this politically or in the community. We want a superintendent to come save our school district. (laughs) Not that anyone in least some would think that, but then be careful. We ask for, because the person you get may not be who you thought you wanted. (laughs) Wow. I like it. School board people, watch out. <laughs> I don't I don't know that even Jesus thought he was the Savior. I mean, during his execution, if I read right, at least in two of the four reports, during his execution, the last thing he said was, God, why have you forsaken me? Not exactly the question of someone who thinks, you know, I'm up here saving the world. Ain't it great? Do you, have you guys ever had that kind of a feeling as as leaders of churches, as community leaders? I mean, is is that a sentiment that you can relate to? Well, I've. You are leaders I think of people. I think that draws people closer to the person, Jesus, than anything else because he has questions and he felt forsaken. And that's, uh, that's pretty common human experience. Oh, 
That's much more common than, let's go see this guy that's saving us. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, people tell me, don't ask questions. I sermon last Sunday where I go, and I don't think he'll be listening. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, that hurts. You know, it's, that it's, hurts. It's the old, uh, it's the old, he used the John thing about, not believing, well, believing he was too old to have a child. And so he asked questions, and my pastor said, if you got questions like that, just be quiet, because the world needs joy. And I thought, don't, please don't do that. Oof. Because what that does is shut all the people who have doubts and questions out. You know, how many times have I heard in church, you're not supposed to question, just trust, just have faith. Well, you're, I don't, that's sure not Jesus. I don't think John Wesley would like that one at all either. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that. Guy. Oh, yeah, but you know, he asked lots of questions, but got him in trouble sometimes, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, so did Jesus. That's right. I, and so did Luther. Uh, Don't ask questions. That that Oh, that makes me my skin crawl. Yeah. Uh, it, you're right. It shuts people down. And then my God is big enough for questions and the frustrations. She's a mighty God. And so she is big enough to take anything I could throw at her. And so I love the fact that God is big enough for any struggle I can have. And Jesus experienced all our struggles. Now, I would say, Hubert, that my take on Jesus' last words from the cross, we said, my God, my God, why forsake me? I don't see that as a question. I see it as him citing Psalm 22. So, Oh, you got to get him quoting scripture. Uh, <laughs> I've lived with you guys a long time. <laughs> but see, you okay, get, but no, I'm going to ask you to room. actually say the. Well, I, I don't, I, I'm sure there are other people like me. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so um, back in the day, they didn't have chapter numbers in the Bible. They added that about 1,000 years after the Bible was compiled. And so the Jewish people, when they would reference and talk about Scripture, they would usually start with the first line. And so what we call the book of Genesis is actually kind of a good example of this because it, the Jewish people would reference it based upon the first words of the book. And for the Psalms, they didn't have numbers, so they would reference it by the first words of the Psalm. And so I've something that I came across some years in college and some very wise, more experienced pastors than myself talked about how Jesus was citing Psalm 22, which starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you go through that Psalm, it's this beautiful Psalm. It's, I mean, pro poetic, but also prophetic, where it talks about the cows and the bulls of Bashan surround me. They cast lots from my clothing. My bones are out of joint. It sounds like a prophetic word of crucifixion. And so Jesus, I think, is citing that Psalm where if I was going to go to if I was going to be executed today and I say Psalm 23 and I walk away, people will know that reference because they know that I'm citing something. And that's how Jewish people would cite the Psalms is they would give the first line of the Psalm. And so Jesus is, I think, pointing to the fact of what he sees around him. So I'm getting kind of wild here. Uh, what he sees around him is fulfilling what he thought was Psalm 22. And he's citing that for the people. And good faithful Jews would get it. Now, the Romans probably wouldn't. They'd think man, what's going on with this guy? But I love the last word to Christ, this, the tradition, the seven last words of Christ from the cross because they show a variety of emotions that he went through. And as a person, he was truly human. He experienced all these emotions, the pain, the fear, the anxiety, but also the release and the relief of it too at different points. So 
I just have a different take upon those words of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that's just all. I'm going to get off that soapbox for now. <laughs> ah! It's all right. That's all right. I, I, li- I like that there are different perspectives and you share them. And, and, and I like that, Hubert, you said, you said earlier you talked about joy. And for me, asking the question is joyful. And some of it is because I like to needle people too. But, <laughs> uh, but I mean, that, that's – I think that's where we discover things, right? I mean, you just talked about your research took you to think differently. You were research is asking questions. Yeah, research we is ask discussion. questions. Yeah, the joy is in asking questions and hearing from other people. I always appreciate hearing from other pastors who've been in the ministry for you know longer than I have. We've read and studied and prayed about this and thought about this. I always enjoy hearing from them. So I appreciate Hubert you being with us today, and I love hearing what you and other pastors have to say. And of course, like the old joke, you get two pastors in the room, you get three or four opinions. <laughs> are, are, are pastor jokes like dad jokes? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, some of them are, are uh, I can't say on the podcast because some of the pastor jokes are like, wow, that's totally inappropriate, but I heard it from the pulpit. So I totally heard pastors say the jokes where I'm like, ooh, I would not say that in front of my grandma, let alone in front of the congregation. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about, about Christmas about the Christmas season and what that time means to you. And, and I want to start before we talk about means to you as a minister, as a, as a, as a leader of a church, but, but, but personally, what do, you, what do you reflect on during Christmas? Hubert, this, you start this one, buddy. Go ahead. What do I reflect on? It's strange. There's something... I'm not by nature mystical, I don't think, but there's something mystical about Christmas. There's that meeting across the divide. Somehow there's that meeting across the divide, that relational experience that with something that's that's alive and can be related to, uh, and it takes shape, I guess, through Jesus. But it's very difficult to translate. It's it's a little blood of grape and bread of earth becoming body and blood. I don't understand it, but sometimes it happens. How how do you, I guess, translate that then? Because your your job for forty years was to try to put that in a way that you could relate it to to, to other people, sometimes oh, hundreds of people in, sitting in front of you. I think like I'm trying right now. I, I don't know that you can report an experience exactly. You can hang it out there. And you can say, here's a little bread and here's a little juice. And the rest's up to them and whatever it is that connects. I, I'm, I'm really 
<laughs> I'm really moving into, I've been known to say if I'm going to die, I could die at the altar on Christmas Eve, <laughs> you know, because that's when it gets real for a minute in some way. But it also gets real <laughs> when I see a dead squirrel laying in the street. I, I, you're, I'm the wrong guy, I think. I don't, no, you're the right guy. I, I that's awesome. Uh, that's... Is was was this one of your favorite times to be at the pulpit? Did you did, well, did you take joy the, except, in this? Except the talking, you run out of something, you know, different to say, and you realize people don't want different. I used to ask people to think at Christmas, and I remember when I was in Warrensburg at the church. Some woman said to me after I said that, we don't come to church on Christmas to think. <laughs> we come to feel. Mm. Did you take that as good feedback, or did you take that as a challenge? Oh, from her, it was excellent feedback. Yeah, because she was a pretty honest responder. I, knowing you the little bit that I do, I, I wondered if you kind of took that as, well, I want to get you to that point where you seek the ch the challenge of thinking. Oh, boy. With her or with anybody else, I don't go with the motive of getting them any place. That's true. If it makes sense to you, what, what did the old Buddhist say? If it makes sense to you, fine. If it doesn't make sense to you, leave it alone. <laughs> Love it, Hans. What's what, what's your uh, approach? Where do you where do you kind of start from during Christmas time? Um, working in the church at Christmas is different than growing up as a kid with Christmas. It's work, so it kind of takes the drill. So for me, Christmas doesn't start until I get home after Christmas Eve service. Um, that's when I can actually relax and enjoy because I have a job to do. I'm called to to and. I love you, bro. I love what you're saying, but like, let your words kind of be few, you know, that don't, you know, you, you think of these things, you try to be clever and creative and, and people say, we just want to feel Christmas. We just want those Christmas feelings. And I get that. So we, we try to do that, but sometimes we get in our own head and we work so much. So I started working on my Christmas Eve sermon two weeks ago um, because I try to plan in November for Christmas season. So I'm always trying to work a month. <laughs> Mail ahead. me a copy, will you? I got to do it. <laughs> I never said it was good. <laughs> I didn't say it was good, Hubert. I don't know if you oh, want to read. It'd be good. It'd it's be not. Good. It might not be worth a poster. Don't don't worry about good. Just well, worry about what comes out. Just comes out. And so I often yeah, usually start by praying, God, give me the words. <laughs> Lord, help me. Because if it's up to me, I'm going to fail. But I, I so I'm kind of in that regard. I am kind of mystical, where I I trust that God will come through. I pray and I try to be faithful. I read the scriptures diligently, and I try to give it time to breathe. If I'm rushing, I'm not one of these people who can rush and write a good paper. I'm not one of these people who can rush and write a good sermon on Saturday night. And so I have to kind of start ahead. And so stuff will come to me and I'll be praying all week, God, give me the words. And then boom, God will provide. It's kind of wonderful. It's, it's frightening when it, it might come at the last minute or I, sometimes I'm feeling, Oh, I don't know about this sermon. I'll tell my wife, like, I don't know if I wanted to record the sermon this week, honey. I'm like, uh, it's not too good. And then she'll be like, Oh, it was fine. I'm like, okay, good. It'll come. <laughs> Trust that God will show up. And that's why I like, maybe I'm more sacramental than I acknowledge where I trust that God will show up because we are in that place. We expect God to be there. 
where two or three are gathered, as you said, I will be there. And with the bread and the wine, we trust that God is truly there. And that's kind of mystical. You both just talked about people say they want to, they want to have all the Christmas feels. Is it hard to find that balance of you want to impart the things that you've learned in your studies? Again, you are professionals. You do this for a living. You've researched. You've gone to school for these things. Is is it hard to find a balance between I want to give you what you think you need, but I also want to impart? A little of both. A little from column A, a little from column B. <laughs> Uh, and, and you got me. And people in the congregation are in all different places. I'm sure you've had this here, where you've had people in the church where some people might be well educated. There have been people who in the church who've been Christians their whole life, who've read the Bible many times, and then there are people who come in who probably have no clue what's going on. Where do I stand? Do I sit? What do I do? And so your sermon will hopefully touch all of them wherever they're at. And so yeah, there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, the the key is to not make it all one thing. And there's things that I like to preach about that I can't keep inserting into the sermon week after week. And so I have to keep those in check, keep those little stories, those little dandy little things in my pocket and not bring those out every week. So trying to cycle through and trying to, but give people a chance to wherever that, whatever they're feeling, give them a variety of things so that the sermon can speak to whoever they are at, which I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, You kind of tend to, to talk to yourself, and that's—I've yeah, been kind of a head guy, and I learned right after I retired downtown. I went in, over to Westport. I was there a couple of years, and we fed homeless every day, every day. So I ate lunch with homeless guys, mostly guys, every day. Some of them came to worship. A few. And what I learned from them is is the old John Prine song asking for, you know, an angel from Montgomery. Just give me something to hold on to because this living is a hard way to go. That's all those old guys are looking for, those homeless people, and, you know, they, something to hold on to. They don't want a lot of theory. They don't. They just need something to hold on to. And that that taught me a good bit about, I guess, the work of preaching. <laughs> of course, that was all, God, don't get me started. When they'd come, a lot of them, of course, had been out in the street, and so they'd go to sleep. And all of a sudden, one of them would wake up, and he'd believe it was his turn to talk. And so he'd talk. And you know what I found? He knew as much as I did. I learned that every day. I, uh, one hospital visit, I learned yesterday, the day before, I went out quit. Some guy got me off in the corner and wanted to tell me how part of his morning praying was chasing Lucifer out of his house. He said, I say, I ask forgiveness. And then I say, Lucifer, in the name of Jesus, get out. And he said one morning I didn't say that, and my daughter called five minutes later and said she'd had a car accident. And he said, that was Lucifer. I forgot to tell him to get away from my family. 
Isn't that interesting? <laughs> then I went upstairs and the patient said, I have a church in Iowa, I think, or someplace he moved here from, that we really liked. The only thing wrong is they didn't give an invitation at the end of the service. And I thought, you know, you learn what's important. I learned more in that morning than I, I I'm taking too much time. But no, uh, that's good. That's good stuff. All you have to do is get out and hit the street, and you learn so much. A damnable thing for us pastors, and it's not. I use it all the time, but in some ways is a computer. You sit there before that computer when you ought to be out on the street. That's my prejudice about that's all. That's enough. Well, that, that's that's interesting because, you know, we started this where I said, okay, we used to have church pages to help you get it out, get the word out. And my in my head, I've been, how can I twist that to make it so that I can help you get? But I think what you're saying is it's not about getting the word out. It's getting yourselves out. Is that, is that am I hearing that right? And the temptation is to sit in front of that computer. I totally agree with you, Hubert. That's really good because I feel that temptation too to sit there, keep working or do this or that. But instead of getting out, I'm, I'm kind of blessed where we are, where we have one good meal coming in. So we have people coming to us, but that that's kind of an old model of church. We got to be able to be out ourselves. And so I love that we got to be here today. So thank you for inviting me out of the office, out away from my computer. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's more of a... more going to ball games. There's no, no better way to spend a day. The mama, the mama thinks, ooh, he cares enough about my boy to go to the basketball game. It's about... <laughs> used to go to jail every Sunday in Warrensburg out to the, and out to Whiteman to the brig. What did they arrest you for? <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned a lot. You know, sitting around the table at the Johnson, Missouri, Johnson County Jail. A lot of airmen who got drunk on Saturday night, or a lot. I just learned so. I've learned so much from people. So much. If I believe in God, it isn't that I believe in people because I believe in God. It's I believe in God because I believe in people. That's, That's a beautiful sentiment. And I think I, I like it when you say things like that. I love my conversations with you, Hubert, because, and I've told you before, I find myself at a place where I have much more faith in people than I do in a thing. Something, yeah. So it's curious to me. The, the way you the way you the way you say that i want to wrap up with kind of more of a it, it's still on topic but a little, little little light little fun we talked about people wanting the christmas feels the 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 the, the thing those sentiments that come with the christmas season and you both talked about how well you really don't get it until until the service is over because you have work to do but are there christmas feelings that you guys love is there a part of that season when you're around people and or you're with sitting with your family at the at the end of the day 
is there that Christmas feeling that you crave? Is there is there something that you crave there? You know, for 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 me, I love the those feelings of of where we feel like we're being of service to others, and there's things that just just draw us a little a little tighter. We put some of those differences aside, and we get a little tighter as a community. Those are the things I chase around this time. Are, are there things that you you know that that thing? There are definitely things, the sights and sounds for me, the, the being able to sit when the kids go to bed and we have the Christmas tree up and just see the lights kind of during the lights, the normal lights off in the house and just see the Christmas tree lights. I love that. Have you ever just laid under the tree and stared up? My mom says it's the most magical thing in the world for her nope, every year. But I will tonight. Thank you for that. And also the music, you know, the Christmas music. There are some liturgical pastors out there who don't let any Christmas music before Christmas Eve. And I'm not that way. I'm not liturgical snob like that. So I say... Yes, throw some Christmas bees in, throw some of the classic stuff in early to give them a little taste, and building up to that beautiful time on Christmas Eve where you get all those songs and all that great service. I, it's beautiful. It's a lovely service. It's a lovely time of year. The music for me is a big part, too. So personally, I love the music. What's, what's your favorite Christmas music? What do you love? What are you going to play on your record player, your iPod, iPhone, whatever? Joy to the World. That's my favorite one. How about you, Hubert? What's your favorite Christmas? There's what I like nobody else knows much of. I usually, it's in our hymnal about the animals all bringing a gift to Jesus. And what they bring, the sheep brings his wool and you know, the cow brings it. And I really like that. What It's the old, what can I give him? That's, that's one I like. I've been listening to... Uh, you know, Kanye West has, he's gotten religion now. And he has, uh, I used to like him a little better, his music when he, before, but he has some couple of songs that are not bad. I think that's the songs. first time someone has evoked Kanye West on one of my shows. Right. And, and I am nearing 300 episodes, and that's the first. It's a hot take from Hubert. He that likes is, Kanye. That is a hot take. Well, I learned about California Ghetto from him. You well, know, he came out of that. And his early music, I really learned how it is to grow up in his kind of setting. That's, I'm glad Taylor Swift found him someplace. <laughs> <laughs> but now I wouldn't pretend that's my music. My music is... Uh, my music is Dylan and Willie Nelson. And We've talked about that before. That crowd, yes, we have. <laughs> That's all. Well, I, I love that. I love that you are two people who are constantly learning, and you and you you talk about that, and you, and you're asking questions. But you are also, you are leaders in the community. You're leaders of of, of churches. So thanks, thanks for that little little insight this week uh, into 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 what those roles are into. Into what Christmas means to you. This is uh, this is I think everybody's most everyone's favorite time of year, and I think we're all chasing that 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 feeling that that piece of community. So so thank you guys for yeah. for, for joining thank me. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Hubert. Yeah. <laughs> we will talk to everyone on Monday.
You have been listening to Lee Summit Town Hall, a link to Lee Summit podcast with hosts Nick Parker and Jason Norberry. A proud member of the Fredcast Network, you can subscribe to this podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps and catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all the news, analysis, and conversations on the Lee Summit community. Connect with us on Facebook at Link to Lee Summit or on Twitter at LS Town Hall. Mm-hmm.